millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and I'm thrilled today to welcome back on the podcast one of my personal favorite stand-up comedians, His new special, Religion, Sex, and a Few Things in Between, is streaming now on Max. Thanks for being here, Rory Scovel. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's so fun to have you on the podcast again, and I just got a chance to see your new special, and I, I enjoyed it thoroughly, I'll tell you that. But I did feel personally attacked very early on. <laughs> I think within about the first five minutes of the special, you're making fun of the name Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that falls about seven, eight minutes. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the mats out there are just going to be furious, I think. Well, I'm trying to, you know, build friction. And I want to do sort of uh, (laughs) acceptable friction where I just call out one specific name throughout history and push those people away from me. Yeah, I will say for people exactly my age, and I, I'm maybe a few years younger than you, it is a very popular name. So I think it's quite it's going to be quite a lot of people you're pissing off. I'm 25 years old. Oh. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm 43. And so, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of mats. I, I have some that are that have had to reach out. They've seen the show live. And like, why do you have to go with Matt? Like, I don't know. Just it was there. <laughs> just felt right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's about it's it's around the uh the Matthew I'm I'm not very religious myself so I don't you can explain the uh the is it an apostle I don't I'm not I'm not uh Yeah, I think that's what I like the most about the joke is that I know that Matthew is the correct uh name and when I thought of that uh for the show I made a conscious choice to not look it up and try to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> that's always the best way to do things. Yeah, I was like, oh, the less I know about it, the more I can maybe get it right or wrong. And then maybe there's something fun in there. But yeah, I kind of didn't want to (laughs) know. So that's the that's part of the religion uh, part of your special. And then the the sort of the the second half is a lot about sex. Why? uh, Why religion and sex? Why are those the two topics that you decided to to really zero in on this time. Yeah, I think they just kind of came out. I think the that's just where the material was. A lot of the um sex material I found when I um did my docu special uh live or live without fear. It's kind of meant to be both. Um but when I did that, a lot of these jokes were born out of that. Uh so we kind of had on in real time on tape uh, me thinking of these jokes. Uh, and then, of course, obviously now this special will be the death of those jokes. So I think that's kind of its own cool side note there. But yeah, I think a lot of those jokes just came out of that week in Atlanta and they stayed with me. My intention was to have an hour that I shoot in late 2020. And then uh, we all know how that turned out. So yeah, I'm I'm a little bit uh, past where I wanted it to be, and uh, I'm kind of grateful for it because I think it tightened up the whole show. I think this special is maybe the tightest one I've ever put together in terms of an hour in general that I ever shot or or anything. Um, and then uh, religion, 
religion, those jokes have, some of those jokes have always been in the back of my head and I've had them, but I've never had a place for them. And then randomly I went on stage in Phoenix during this tour and I said something about my shirt being tucked in. And that was just the discovery of how to get into religion. And then from there, all these jokes blossomed. That Matthew joke just came to me on a uh, a drive from, or a, a train ride from New York to DC in April in the middle of the tour, sitting on a train. I just started writing out directions I could go with it. And that just popped in my head. And yeah, it just kind of, it was too fun to not make it part of the show. Can you uh, can you elucidate the connection between the tucked in shirt and, and religion a little bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of the way I, I don't know what it was, but I I was in the green room and I tucked my shirt in. This is before I was wearing a blazer in the set. I, I just tucked my shirt in and I said to everybody in the green room, I was like, I know that this looks like kind of weird and dumb and I don't usually tuck a shirt in. I was like, but I got to say, it feels so right and when I got on stage, for whatever reason, I still felt the need to, like, explain my wardrobe choice. And for whatever reason, I just said it felt more Christian, like that made some kind of sense. Uh, and and uh, that got a laugh. And as as you know, that's all it takes. You know, oh, that got a laugh? Great. Then it must. <laughs> then the thing that's for me, kind of made sense clearly is making enough sense to get a laugh and stay in the show. So, Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the the tucked in shirt is so, sort of a metaphor uh, for the tighter uh, set, the tighter hour, like you were saying. Because the last time we talked, um, you know, it was all about that documentary special, which was about going on stage with almost nothing prepared at all, or, or literally right. nothing prepared at all. And this spe- special does feel very different. Um, it feels tighter. It feels more uh, written. Um, is that? Is that accurate? Is it what was oh, how yeah. different was the process this with this one? Well, this was me taking a lot of that stuff that I got from that docu special and uh, stuff that I've just had in general. All, all of my stuff is pretty much born out of improvising on stage. At least uh, I would say a, a, a majority of it. And uh, I would say this is the first time I really looked at the material and actually did the homework of editing, taking things out that. I maybe love, but just aren't getting the response. Uh, it's ruining maybe the rhythm of of tighter, you know, kind of set up into a laugh, set up into a laugh. And uh, anything that kind of lagged, I just kind of dropped it out. And it's the first time I really committed to sitting down and, and making sure all the, to, you know, if I'm talking about my wife here, there's no need to talk about, you know, then do another joke that's 20 minutes. Like, how do I make this into one thing? And I know that it's sort of strange to be on year 20 of my career talking about something <laughs> that I think a lot of people maybe discover early on. But I think as an artist, things just happen when they're going to happen. And uh, for me, uh, I'm grateful that it happened early in 2023. And I think it occurred just because I, I finally sat down to say, all right, let's try to do something we haven't done before. And it's being this other version of disciplined. Yeah. Is that what it just came down to doing something you hadn't done before? Or was there some reason why you felt like, okay, now is the time after 20 years to really do this type of uh, homework? I, I think it was maybe both of those things. Because I, I really was like, you know, I, I I know that I can go on stage and I know that I can uh, entertain a crowd. You get to a point where you just confidently start to know that you can do it. Whether whether you succeed that night or not, you don't know. But you know that you can, you're capable. And so I think I know I can go on stage and I can riff and I can find it and I can do these things. And I, I, I 
I think I just don't appreciate a band that just kind of always puts out the same album. Even if they're putting out an album that I don't end up liking, I think I always appreciate they at least tried to do something that is, uh, you know, slightly different than what they've done before. And I think, um, you know, I don't think things are very interesting in spoken word if every time I get on stage, the person who's trying to entertain you hasn't learned anything or hasn't grown or evolved or changed in any way. And uh, I would say my revelation, which honestly feels too big of a word for <laughs> for this moment, but my revelation being like, you know, wearing a blazer, tucking in your shirt, uh, all of these things just convey uh, uh, physically something else to the crowd. And uh, I, I think I was just ready for it. I, I think it's somewhat subconscious, just these things just came to be. Yeah, it's so funny, like thinking about you sort of doing this more uh, formal version of comedy or with the blazer and everything in the in the way that you talk about, um, you sort of joke a couple times about, oh, this is, I'm just doing Seinfeld's material because what you're saying is so far from what someone like he, him would say. So it's not that the material has gotten more conservative or more, you know, um, traditional in that way. Um, it did make me think when you were talking, when you were making those jokes, like, do you even feel like you're doing the same art form that he's doing? Cause it is so different in a lot of ways. Um, you know, especially before. This. No, I mean, I, I mean, yes and no, you know, at its core. Yes, obviously, uh, we're doing spoken word and in whatever way you want to look at it, but I don't think you ever kind of get into that space of your material and your performance and all becoming or coming from a very personal place. If you're not figuring out your way of doing it, and even if that means your way is different than, than other people's. And I, you know, I don't want to sound like to your audience, like I'm, <laughs> I'm doing anything that's truly wildly different than, you know, going to a stand up show, you know, it's still just going to be jokes and a performance. But, um, I, I, I don't, I think I've, graduated from uh, a space of being reluctant that maybe my choices uh, aren't more universal or for an audience or it doesn't seem more mainstream for an audience. Um, I think I've gotten away from that. And I think going back to the earlier question, I think maybe a bit of that sitting down and doing the homework was, oh, I don't, I, I don't know that the, the, the way in which I'm doing this feels very mainstream. I don't think everyone's going to like hearing jokes about religion or sex or whatever topics I might talk about, politics or drugs. But I do think if I tightened it up a little bit, I think maybe people that maybe are turned off by those topics, they might come and listen and they might appreciate the, the presentation and it might get them laughing, whether they agree or not. No, I just, I, like really, God is the OG, they, them. And I think it's easy to agree with that, no matter no matter what you think. If you're like, actually, that's not true. You're like, God is a man. And if you think God is a man, that means you think God has a dick and balls and shredded abs, always. I don't know why, but always. The only reason you even think that God is a man is because of the pronouns and of all the paintings you've seen in history. The audacity to paint God, but also the vulnerability to paint God hot? Wow. <laughs> wow. What I've always loved about your comedy is how present you're able to stay on stage. And I think a lot of that came from the improvisation and you, it sort of forces you to stay present and react to what's happening. And you do that in this special as well. There's sort of a 
constantly offering meta commentary about what's happening or or how people are reacting to things. Is that is that why you do that, or is it just natural for you? Like, how do you think about those moments where you maybe jump out of something that you've written to comment on something that's happening in the room? Yeah, it's hard to uh, it's hard to not bite when. <laughs> When that, when that carrot gets dangled in front of me, it's hard to not go after it. Uh, I, I don't necessarily look for it, but I think there's moments in this special, at least, that I think the thing I like the most is that we're putting out a special that includes those moments because they really happened. And that is really how I perform. And it's a pretty honest take on the type of performance I like to give. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of an addiction. You know, I could stick to the script. But I, I have always thought that if you really know the script in terms of stand-up, if you really know the script and you really know the jokes, you maybe don't need them because having a really good hour means you have a lot of confidence. And if you have a lot of confidence, it means you might have the confidence to not need to do those jokes. Um, I would say this is the first time I decided to have a lot of confidence and just really... 90% stick to those jokes that we worked on and we can't, we put concrete in there. We made it permanent. Let's stick with it and do it. Yeah. I was curious about the moment that became the centerpiece of the trailer. You ever Google porn addiction just to see where you stand? Get to the website. It's like, how often do you masturbate? It's like, don't ask me questions. Show me other people's answers. I'd like you to hurry it up too. I got this gangbang video I'm trying to watch. No, I've never been in a gangbang. <laughs> it gets all sad. Nah, I've never been in a gangbang. I just leave. Can this please be the trailer for the special? Was that something that happened uh, organically in the moment, or was that something that had happened before? Yeah, yeah. The walking off, yeah. It just kind of happened, and uh, I, you know, this was the second show of that night. Uh, you know, as you know, you shoot these specials, and they're shooting two just for safety's sake. And uh, we shot the first one, and we got it. We got it in the first one. It was a really good show. And so I was a little more uh, confident, a little looser, in that second one. And I think it lended itself to me going, you know, we have the, we have this version. So let's have me doing some of the jokes, but like, I don't want to completely turn my back on these moments of, oh, an idea popped in my head. Like, let's take the risk. You know, I think also it's easier to be a little bit more confident knowing at the end of the day, you can just edit these things out uh, anyways. So, um, but yeah, I will say that those usually end up being some of my favorite moments. Yeah, I mean, the you saying, can this please be the trailer is something that maybe most people would have edited out, but instead you actually made it the trailer. <laughs> right, right. Did that take any convincing of the on the, the marketing side? No, it didn't at all. Um, no, they liked the, it. I, this trailer was cut, and I think we all immediately fell in love with it right away. I, I think uh, cutting a, uh, a comedy trailer is incredibly difficult because it's almost like, how do you make a commercial for a, an album that's coming out for someone's band? It's like, there's nothing you can do in that 15, 30, 60 seconds that is going to make someone go, oh, yeah, I should listen to that. And what I like is that this one kind of really lays into one joke, sort of, but the thing that it showcases the most is I feel like my vibe uh, of being a little off center, a little weirder. And the fact that it 
kind of puts that out there at the forefront, you know, I, maybe it attracts people, maybe it turns people off, but at least it's pretty honest. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, this was a, this special was a, a sort of new challenge, as you said, for you in terms of doing something more straightforward or more written. Do you already sort of know what your next, the next way you want to challenge yourself is? Or are you already out there doing new material or how, how are you thinking yeah, about what, what comes next? I haven't jumped out there yet. Do find that a lot of my jokes, uh, or at least a lot of my inspiration to get on stage and talk about something comes from frustration. And I think, uh, you know, it isn't just the fact that this is an election year, but that certainly plays a role in uh, what frustrates me or how we are as people. And I don't know if it's just I've hit that age where you now start to notice all these things that kind of annoy you. But I think I'm at an age where I think I uh, or at a point where I, I don't mind being a little more hypercritical of the of society and less more. I feel like this one is very personal, this this special. It's very much me. And I feel like the next one like is going to be a little more critical more on society yeah. and uh, more, these more institutions. More in some ways? I think so. I think it will be. And uh, who knows? At the end of the day, you probably end up losing some people for that reason, that they just can't stand jokes about politics, despite the fact that they would spend their free time at a rally. Um, but I think <laughs> I, uh, I, think I yeah, might go down that that's... road a little bit and see what it feels like. Yeah, that's definitely interesting because I I wouldn't think of you as a political comedian, um, but there's there are times I think where you know anyone can sort of reach that point where they go, you know what, I have to say something about this. I mean, I think about someone like uh, Jim Gaffigan was like very deliberately not political, and then at some point made a decision, maybe <laughs> not so much on stage, but in his uh, you know on on social media or in his life to kind of let it let it be known where he stood. Yeah, I think at some point you kind of get pushed to that, maybe, uh, where you do kind of want to speak out and say what you really think and uh, see if you can turn it into something that entertains people or gets them to laugh or who knows, maybe open their eyes a little bit to other people's situations. But um, yeah, I, I was joking throughout putting this hour together when I would literally do like the dumbest jokes that didn't even make it in the special and I would just end those jokes by saying I was in my Carlin phase um, because it just <laughs> because it just wasn't. <laughs> but I think I then walked away from that being like, you know, the Carlin thing is kind of interesting. Like I haven't gone on stage with like that sort of a, a rant or I haven't tried to play songs uh, that feel like they could exist in that kind of space. And it kind of made me... Uh, interested to try it um you know not that it's you want to go i'm gonna try to be carlin like i don't i don't want to do that but i would be interested to be like all right what is what is rory scoville when he's trying to also make a point what does his version of that look like so i've been very inspired by watching a lot of uh george carlin recently which i think kind of pushes you to that like all right it's time to say something and figure out how to say it and not want people to sit there going it just sounds like you're doing an impression of george carlin yeah. and i'm not even saying well, i can pull this off yeah, i'm saying we, before i even yeah, we start do, you know we do have ai george carlin now so i'm not sure uh what you're doing is even needed right i know that's what i was like maybe i can just type it into a computer and <laughs> this special could be made tomorrow <laughs> really <laughs> well so when you were here the last time, we uh, we do a, this segment called The First Laugh at the end of the episodes, um, and there are some questions that we've added since you were here a couple of years ago, so I thought maybe oh. we could go through some of these. So 
Do you have a story or memory about the first time you met one of your really big comedy heroes, uh, someone who you just really look up to in the comedy world? Um, you know, I, I started because of David Cross and hearing David Cross's uh, Shut Up, You Fucking Baby um, back in, I don't know, 03 or 04. I don't know when it was, 02. Um, and I got to meet him. I got to see him live a few times. Uh, and then I got to meet him through uh, Todd Glass, working with him in uh, D.C. at the Warner Theater forever ago. And uh, he was so nice and so great. It was the, there's really no like big story about it. It was just very uh, cool to talk to someone who inspired you to try something that then changed your entire life and put you on a whole different trajectory than you you might have been on. It was it's I. I know people always say, you know, don't never meet your heroes. Um, and I get it. But I think even when the heroes are pieces of shit, <laughs> which David Cross was not, but even when they are, I think you still have to step back and go, yeah, but what they did artistically did inspire me to find this crazy path. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't met any heroes that turned out to be real pieces of shit? No. No, actually. I, I think That's good. I think I've been for I mean, not that I've met so many people that I wildly look up to, but every single one so far has been a real human being and just a nice person. And who knows, maybe that's the attraction in the first place. Well, David Cross is certainly someone who can do a, a strong political rant on stage when he wants to. So maybe that's something to look up to as well. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. I know you've been doing more acting in recent years. Do you have any audition stories that stand out in your memory, uh, either for something that you got or didn't get? Um, it could be because it went really well or because it really didn't go well. Um, when you think about auditioning, uh, anything that comes to mind? I just told the story the other day. It was for a Guy Ritchie movie. And uh, I only remember that it was very like militaristic in some way, if that's even <laughs> a word. Um, and I remember... For whatever reason, I just decided I wanted to deliver my joke, my jokes, my lines in sort of a jokey, smart ass. Yeah. I was like, maybe that way. was the problem. You thought of them as jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember being outside waiting to go in and everybody auditioning was actually in like army clothes and looked <laughs> army related. And I was like, oh, I'm I'm in my boat shoes and jeans and a polo. And this is definitely not the vibe. But I went in and uh, two women were, they were casting, working the casting, and they, I had just told them, I go, I'm not going to do what is probably <laughs> expected and what I should do, but I'm going to try to make this character funny and maybe, who knows, maybe that works. And they laughed. They laughed at a lot of the stuff that I was doing, but the moment we were done, I was like, there's no world where someone like Guy Ritchie's like, yeah, no, I, I got it way wrong. He got my idea right. <laughs> yeah. Finally, looking back, is there a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Oh, man. Um, I was at Caroline's back when I lived in New York City. Uh, so this would have been, I don't know, 09, 2010, something like that. And I was hosting the show. And it was one of those shows at Caroline's where as this first show ends, they just kind of have the second show start and they kind of don't let the audience know so that they maybe just keep buying drinks. And and uh, it's a cool system. I think it's cool to respect the yeah, audience to with that. Trick, trick the audience. <laughs> yeah, to trick them into staying longer and, uh, you know, kind of 
taking advantage of their polite attitudes. But I, I went on <laughs> stage and these guys kind of came in late and sat down and they were a little talkative. And I just said, hey, I'm hosting, like, don't talk during the comics or whatever. And they kind of talked during a comedian. And, you know, I was just like, I was like, oh, why, you know, why? I, I kind of got into it with them a little bit. And I thought I was handling it. Um, and I think I had said something like, well, could you guys just shut up? And then, and then keep in mind, this place holds like 300 people. And I think we had 30 people there. Some guy from the other side of the room goes, why don't you shut up? And that's when I realized <laughs> the whole audience was, they were over me. I was the problem. They didn't care about these guys. And I'll never forget, I came off stage. I brought a comic up, came off stage, and I was supposed to bring up the next host so that they kind of don't know the show has transitioned. And I told the guy, I go, honestly, if you go out there and just say that I got fired because I'm so bad, the audience <laughs> will love you. And he was like, no, that's not cool. You're supposed to bring me up. And I go, I can bring you up. But I'm just saying, if you say this, you will already be at 100 with this crowd. They will love you. Yeah, he and didn't so get it. And so he kind of scoffed at me like I was bailing on my job. He went up, said what I said crushed, brought up the next comic, came backstage, and he was like, you're right, they hate you. <laughs> and I was like, I tried to tell you. I tried to tell you this was the move. Yeah, he's but like, I'm trying to help you, man. Yeah, yeah I, I'll never forget that was a walk back to my apartment, uh, which took about an hour, and I had my iPod, and I had my headphones in, and I walked uh, for an hour just sulking, like, oh, my God, I've never felt so, like, bad where the whole audience hated me and I didn't know it the whole time. When you start to question your sanity yeah. and you're like, wait, am I a delusional piece of shit? Like, did I, am I, do I bomb all the time and I don't know it? Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe, it was one of those yeah, moments yeah, for every it. time. Yeah. yeah. So I lived with That's that really until funny. I got on stage again, which was probably the next night. But yeah, I, I remember that. Uh, in fact, when you say it's probably improv that makes me very aware of the moment, I was actually saying it's probably trauma from that show that makes me very alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I <laughs> constantly keep checking, checking in. in. How is yeah. this going? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys like me? Just a five minute check. Do you guys still like me? Okay, great. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, Rory, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and congrats on the new special. I appreciate that so much. Thanks for watching and thanks for having me back. Very appreciate it. Okay, hope you enjoyed this bonus episode and thanks again to Rory Scoville for coming back on the podcast to chat. You can stream his new special, Religion, Sex, and a Few Things in Between, right now on Max. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on threads at Matt Wilstein and at thedailybeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram and threads where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.